Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks News Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Sano, joined, as always, by the Akiva. To my Jorma, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm good, man. Psyched for the new season. And our very own Andy. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? Oh, man. So good, and I understand the reference. Let's go. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you got the reference there, you're you're lonely. So the um, Dude, Seahawks, but you got to never stop, never stopping. This, the Seahawks made their first 53-man roster of the year. Cutdown day was Saturday, September the 5th. Um, so let's go through the roster real quick. Just say any surprises that we had and also go over the uh, 14-man practice squad as it stands right now and maybe some guys that we thought would make it there that didn't quite make it onto the practice squad. So first up, quarterback. Quarterbacks Russell Smith and Geno Smith. No surprises there. Um on the practice squad, we got Danny Etling back, but Anthony Gordon has not signed to the practice squad. There are a couple yet. open spots, I believe, there right? There are two open spots left. Do you think uh, there'll be an effort to get Anthony Gordon back, or do you think that it's um, he's we can basically kiss him goodbye? He had a rough training camp. I don't think that he released it out to coaches. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him back, uh, even though I'd like to see him. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. It is, it's hard to tell because we don't get enough news. You know what I mean? And the only person who was talking about him a lot was Mike Sean Duggar, who is a WSU grad. So I don't really feel like it's a fair <laughs> thing person to um, to to be giving that kind of uh, feedback. So, yeah, um, I was a little surprised that he didn't land right on the practice squad and Danny Etling did. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised Danny Etling did because we need him for two more weeks because we play Atlanta this week and New England next week, and then he can just – kick rocks for all i care uh, <laughs> running backs chris carson dj dallas travis homer and carlos hyde eric our dreams have come true what, what's missing <laughs> rashad penny of course is going to start the year on the uh that's not, that's not what? what i'm talking about <laughs> i know i know i know that's your dream come no, on man no no i come Boo on this I man gotta be Boo. the funny guy uh ladies and gentlemen everywhere fullback is not a roster spot this year because uh Pete Carroll got wise and or Max Strong did not find the fountain of youth. Uh, real quick, though, if Pete Carroll does that thing like last year where he signs him back to the team after cutting him originally, I'm going to be really pissed. Don't yeah, he's not gonna, practice, go down that he's not don't practice squad it. yet, so I'm very suspicious. Just don't talk about it. I'm Just very let it, suspicious. Let it go. Uh, receivers, six players made their fir- uh, first roster here. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Philip Dorsett, David Moore, Freddie Swain, and John Ursua. And another five receivers. This is how the Seahawks listed them. Made the, made it to the practice squad. Aaron Fuller, Penny Hart, Lance Lenore, Stephen Sullivan, who they listed at wide receiver, and Cody Thompson. We still know Sullivan's kind of a move tight end slash wide receiver, whatever you want to call that. The um, kind of uh, like um, Darren Waller, where he can play in line and out of line, just depending on what the team needs. Do you uh, any surprises there? Freddie Swain and John Ursua made it, and Paul Richardson got told to kick rocks. Did <laughs> did that surprise you, you guys? Well, I think you talked about it when they reworked Moore's deal. It wasn't super surprising to see P. Rich was out after that. I wonder how much of it was him not having time to gel with Shoddy's offense. Yeah, for me, it's there was a little telling thing where Pete Carroll didn't really endorse Paul Richardson uh, when he came back. It seemed like it it was a, like a great move when you just read that he re-signed, but when you read the articles after that, it didn't look very good. David Moore took pay cut or restructured his contract. Uh, for Freddie Swain and John Ursua in here, I feel like it's still competition time because Josh Gordon is uh, suspended indefinitely. When he is unsuspended, 
you, you better you better check your resume, folks. You know, it's uh, it, the thing is, they kept so many wide receivers in the practice squad too, which means that the, the practice squad's a little different this year. They are you can put veterans on there for one, and two, you can get guys back up to two guys without having to have them clear waivers. So it could be interesting this year with the 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 kind of the back end of the wide receiver room, tight ends: Greg Olson, Will Disley, Jacob Hollister, and Luke. Wilson Parkinson started off on the NFI list and then of course we've got Sullivan and Tyler Mabry who apparently both had excellent training camps um their their team is really excited about Mabry um so I think this is a good time to talk about it we didn't need any extra cap room because the Jadavian Clowney thing didn't work out (laughs) obviously uh he is a Tennessee Titan now uh so so Hollister and Moore were like the two most likely guys to need to get cut just to clear cap, right? They're the two top guys that could save all the cap. It's it's the easiest $5 million to cut on the roster with probably the lowest impact. The fact that we didn't get Clowney basically made it e- a lot easier to keep those guys. So now we've got Olsen, Disley, Hollister, and Wilson. It's a really thick, good tight end room. Um, do you think we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets this year, Eric? That's That's the hope. We thought we might see it last year, but... It seemed like, you know, see a lot of George Fant instead. <laughs> there, yeah, we saw well, a lot of we saw a lot of IR instead. We also, yeah, no kidding, Kevin. <laughs> Not only that, but you know, we had to get the uh, we had to get Shoddy warmed up. We had to get everyone warmed up. So I feel like this is the year to do it. Greg Olson is a really plus player to have on this team. Hollister is dependable, and Disley. I mean, this is the guy that. He's a star if he can just stay healthy, and that's not a joke. He's he's a plus plus tight end, blocking, receiving. Yeah. It's everything is this, we want. This is his second injury, though. That you know, if that injury happened in the '80s, it would have ended his career. Yes. So so it's it's hard for me to uh, it's hard for me to get behind. Like I don't want to get too high on Will Disley because I need to see it in action. No, but I think it allows us to experiment with not being plentiful in the two tight end set. But yes, you will see more of it this year. I also think Luke Wilson being on there is probably a good sign that they think that um, uh, Parkinson has a chance at returning this season because Luke Wilson's just so easy to cut. And <laughs> I, I thought Luke Wilson was the best candidate on the whole team to be like the veteran on the practice squad because they obviously want to keep him on the team. They like Luke a lot. The The team likes him quite a bit, even though he uh the conspiracy theorist he probably gets along really good with pete because they're both into conspiracy theories and the techno and the short shorts and all that stuff i mean it's just he's like mr team spirit and i felt like he was the guy to get cut but then end up as the veteran practice squad guy because he hasn't really been able to catch on anywhere except here you like josh mccown is for philly (laughs) but but i mean like i think that even if later Parkinson comes back and they decide to put Parkinson on, Luke Wilson's going to be on that practice squad. That's that's his spot. I mean, he's he's not going anywhere. Offensive line, Dwayne Brown, Iopati, Posich, Lewis, Shell, that's your starters. Then you got Finney, Haynes, Simmons, Jones, and Ugbui. I think the big surprise here is 10 instead of 9. Um, so I would have expected one of Simmons and Jones to try to get snuck on the practice squad. But I don't, I don't think that this is wrong or bad or anything. This is a good, solid line rotation. And like I said, we're a lot more athletic than last year. I've said it a lot. Um, this this offensive line should be able to stay on the field and move quickly and really be uh, let us play up tempo for more of the game. Try to win the game in the first half as opposed to giving every Seahawks fan a heart attack. Uh, do you, do you guys were you guys were you surprised by the extra offensive line in there, Kevin, or did ten is ten just a mild surprise? I think ten isn't a super big surprise because uh, the team has invested in Finney. 
but they clearly aren't comfortable with him taking the field right now. So I I, I think keeping Simmons as a kind of flex backup guard or the guy that we cut if we have to bring in a center, if something happens with Posich. Finney has truly been demoted to like backup center only and is like really struggling, which I don't don't understand. I just don't. He was fine as a backup in Pittsburgh, and now he comes here and he's garbage. I don't know. It's weird. I guess it's a big scheme change, but that seems weird to me. I don't know. I kind of figured we'd we'd end up with 10 just because offensive line injuries happen. 10's always been the number for like the last, I want to say, three, four years, with the exception of maybe one year we started with, with nine. And I think that um, our old friend Justin Britt is just waiting on the outside. Yeah. Um, okay. So edge, or defensive line. At first, we only kept eight, but then... Now there's two more so I that have gotten onto the team. So I, I don't know how to do this. It's uh, Wilson and Rush are the two new guys, plus Collier, Green, Mayoa, Moore, Robinson, Ford, Monet, and Reed. And then, yeah, there's two more guys. So let's talk about the new guys first. Um, Kevin, tell us about uh, Mr. Rush. All right. So uh, Anthony Rush uh, played defensive tackle um, with – Philly last year. He's just, he's a big dude. I uh, think Brian Monet sized. Uh, he is a two gap defensive tackle in that when he stands, he takes up two gaps. He's about yeah, 350 to, pounds. Went to UAB. Seems like a good old Southern boy, big guy. Yeah. And he's going to be a guy who can come in. Seems like a capable run stopper. Um, kind of just a minutes, a minutes eater and probably an everything else eater. I mean, you get to 350 a certain way, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, big, I, I big sus- personality on Twitter. Yeah, he's funny on Twitter. I suspect about a hundred uh, snaps of a uh, hundred snaps of uh, Anthony Rush. Why can't I talk? Anthony Rush this year if he stays on the team the whole the whole year, and that that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We need a guy who can. I think that they were hoping that Christmas would be the guy that comes into that role, but uh, but now and he was not it. Christmas just doesn't have balance. That was a thing I noticed on his college tape, too. I always worry whenever you get a defensive tackle who can't stay upright. Yeah, all right. And then the other new addition of the defensive line, DeAndre Walker. Um, a lot of people, you'll see a lot of people list this guy as a linebacker. He was a 3-4 outside linebacker. But I'm going to say that from reading his scouting reports today, that he was miscast in that role. He probably should have. If The thing is, he there was two options for him as he came out in the draft either play base end and and play to his strengths or try to develop as a 3-4 rush end because he is a little bit on the the skinny side although he's he's already gained 20 pounds since college. He weighed in at 240 at the combine and now he weighs just a shade under 260. So he's he's already gotten a lot bigger. He is a good um, run defender but doesn't have great uh, pass rushing skills. And so I'm excited to see, you know, we needed someone like that that could just play base end on rundowns. That's that was a, like a sorely missing. And He's kind of opposite to Montre Moore. Yes, Demontre Moore is obvious a uh, pass down guy. He will be an obvious. DeAndre Walker will be an obvious rundown guy. They'll they'll throw Walker out there, give him his snaps. He's not like horrible in pass rush, but he just doesn't have like a defined plan. Get him working with Cliff. Get that pass rush uh, work in. Maybe he can develop in the year or two. But for now, just his place on the field is run stuffing base end. He should be pretty good at it. Uh, Bobby, KJ, Bruce, Cody, Jordan, Ben, the six linebackers made it. Shaquem Griffin, 
did not make the team, but landed on the practice squad. So uh, people were, you know, obviously very sad, but he, but I think that there's a belief in this building that he can be an NFL player that does not permeate throughout the league. And so even though he's a premier athlete, he just doesn't get the respect he deserves. And well, good for the Seahawks because now we can we can bring him up when someone gets hurt on the defensive line or at linebacker and he could fill that spot admirably and play some great special teams. I'm really glad that we got him back. Um, there's no th- Those guys, though, that made the team, they all were lock solid to make it the whole time, right? Like those six guys were all. Yeah, we in. we in our roster projections, we all kind of had Quim making it. Uh, Kevin, did you did you think he was going to get cut? Uh, I thought I thought he was one of the last spots, but I had him in because I had him in as a rush end. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, that's right. You're, you're. And then we ended up signing. We ended up signing ends, and I think that kind of squeezed. Yeah, him. and Kevin is always really good at being creative. Where he puts that's not a knock. Like I really like how you're creative with your roster building because it's you know it's it's how we see it sometimes. Uh, this kind of like the tight end group. It's it was really we th- we thought best case scenario we'd end up with a lot of guys and it would be a big roster. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with all these guys. They initially kept five cornerbacks: Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers, Quentin Dunbar, Nico Thorpe, and Lyndon Stevens. Lyndon Stevens was cut um, for the first first the new guys that came in. The this cornerback situation, those four cor- top four corners: Griffin, Flowers, Dunbar, Thorpe. Those are the four guys who can play outside corner on this team. Um, that's the only guys they're listing at cornerback because our nickel cornerbacks are all listed <laughs> as safeties on the official depth chart. But um, I'm not. That is some great depth at outside corner. And I think Trey Flowers is like, really, you can tell. Did you guys watch his interview last week? No. Yeah. He's unhappy that he that he wasn't able to win the outside corner job, that he, he's unhappy. He He's frustrated. He wanted to come out and beat Quentin and Shaquille and take one of their jobs, but he couldn't do it. And I think he's hurting a little bit, and I, I feel for him, but he has a lot of potential, and he wasn't. <laughs> He needed he needed a push, and hopefully this push this is the push that he needed to get him over the top. So, yeah. I think this is one of those slotting things. It's like what you see in a wide receiver room when they bring in a guy. Like if you look at our wide receivers, you bring in Philip Dorsett, and it slots David Moore into wide receiver eight, or you know wide receiver four or five, depending. And then you have Swain and Ursua slotted in as like situational guys, and it suddenly makes our wide receiver room look a lot better. I think the same thing happens with Dunbar. Dunbar comes in and it slots Flowers in in the Akeem King role. And Trey Flowers, as one of your top two outside cornerbacks, is a bit of a question. Like, you know you, you know he's going to need some of that safety help. But if he's your backup, and when he's on the field, he's on the field because somebody's dinged up or it's a situational uh, type package, then that kind of speaks really good about your defensive back depth. If that's your third outside corner that's a really good third outside corner hey kevin how many seasons has quentin dunbar appeared in all 15 games or all uh, 16 games? that'd be uh i believe zero none flowers is going to get his shot and so i think that, that he needs to just stay ready and i he will have his opportunity to show out he looks great in the number 21 jersey repping for uh for Deion sanders his favorite player I, I think it'll be fine i know i don't i don't think that this is the end of the line for trey flowers dunbar is an injury-prone guy. I'm excited about his potential. He really understands how Pete Carroll wants us to play cornerback. But uh, Trey Trey will get his chance because Dunbar is going to get hurt. It's just going to happen. Safeties, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi, and Lano Hill. Eric, Lano Hill made it. Yeah. I'm so pumped. Uh, you know, I'm fine with it. It's I'm, I'm not shocked. 
I'm just a little like, huh, okay. Uh, Leno Hill has value on this team, obviously, and he's he's a veteran with his team. I, I feel like, I don't know where Trey Flowers needed to push. Leno Hill has had his his ups and many downs. Um, welcome to the club, Leno, but don't. What if, what if I told you his middle name was Cash Pride? Would that make him, you like him more or less? <laughs> How did I not know that? Are you serious? I'm dead dead serious. Um, oh, I'm getting the jersey now. Okay, and as long as it says Cash Pride Hill on it. So then you know, um as long as Lano Hill isn't playing free safety, he could take box safety snaps and I'm fine with it. Lano Hill coming downhill from single high safety is bad. Uh Blair and Amadi both have flexibility to play slot corner now and a bunch of different safety positions. I'm very happy with both of those guys on the roster. I think that they're kind of the future, they're what's next. Blair especially. Uh Amadi's probably gonna be our slot corner for quite a while, so I'm excited about both those guys. Uh, running out the practice squad, Tommy Champion, the tackle, uh, Gavin Heslop, defensive back, Ryan Neal, defensive back, who had a great camp, uh, looks good. He can play both safety and uh, corner. Uh, Jason Stanley, defensive back, and Chad Wheeler, an offensive tackle. So two spots remain on the practice squad. Who will fill them? Anthony Gordon and someone else probably. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's all, I, that's all I got there. Um, you guys ready to do some bold predictions? Yes. Okay, we all ready. came up with three bold predictions for this Seahawks season. Kevin, what's your first bold prediction for this year's Seahawks? All right. I'm gonna come in with uh with I'm gonna come in with one that's a little more agreeable. We'll work our way up. Work our way so, up to the to the real hot takes. Work our way up to the to the hottest take, the one that I know I'm gonna get pushed <laughs> back on. So uh the last time the Seahawks had a pair of thousand yard receivers was nineteen ninety-five with Joey Galloway and Brian Blades. That is until 2020, when DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both eclipse a thousand yards and 80 receptions in a season, I I can't argue with that. DK seems like he's what's next. I would say him and like Terry McLaurin are two, the two most exciting like second year wide receivers to me, and uh, Michael Gallup of course. Then so they we got these good young. We got one of the best young wide receivers in the game. I don't. He almost made a thousand last year makes it this year that makes sense to me especially if the team plays up tempo a little bit as i expect eric yeah and we don't we don't have to argue with kevin's right you're we're no, good we can go I straight love to yours i love that uh tying into kevin's uh the hawks will rush for over 2,000 yards and pass for over 4,200 yards which would make it the most prolific offense in pete carroll seahawk history i uh can I argue with that? Uh, I'm not going to argue with that either. I mean, I think that we've been trending towards becoming an offense first team, and that seems like a logical place for it to end up. I think it's a bold prediction because this is what we want, and this is what we see, but this is never what we get. We get kind of one or the other, or we get a uh, an amalgamation of really bad offensive play for three quarters. I'm boldly predicting this is the year we turn it around. All right. Well, last year, the Seahawks uh, had a top five. This is my first prediction. Last year, the Seahawks had a top five offensive DVOA coming in fifth. I think they repeat that feat, but I'm going to add this. They also finish in the top 10 for defensive DVOA. There you go. Top five offense, top 10 defense. That's my prediction for your Seattle Seahawks. And I just think that one thing that we've a lesson from New England the last few years, everyone's like, slam dunking on grandpa pete but if there's one thing you can look at that new england has done the last few years that no one else is really doing except new england 
they are building their defense from the back forward. They're drafting safeties, they're signing safeties, they're drafting cornerbacks, they're signing quarterbacks. They are building from the back forward. And they let and they let their best pass rusher, Trey Flowers, they let him walk. Okay. So th- they're doing that. We are doing the same thing. We let Clowney walk. We we are now building from the back forward. We got Adams, Diggs, Griffin, Dunbar, Wagner. We got the 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 best back seven in the league. And I think that last year, what what place did New England get in defensive DBA? Do you guys know? No. Uh, were they third? They were first. First by a lot. First That's too better. Bullet. First of the bullet, negative twenty five. Fifth place was negative eleven. Like they were they were way ahead. They were they crushed everyone. So, yeah, I'm um. I don't know. I don't see what the big deal is. I think people are kind of overrating how much uh, how much we need like elite elite pass rushers when guys are cut. The quick the quick strike offense makes the instant speed pass rusher. You have you can't you don't have time to throw anyway. Everyone throws so fast now. Everyone's trying to get the ball out on time. You got to cover those guys. Give your guys time to get home. It'll matter less who the pass rushers are because the back seven will be so good. I got two thoughts to back you up. I'm going to let Eric voice one of them, though, because it's one of his favorite things to say. <laughs> Eric, what's something that we know about Pete Carroll? Oh, my goodness. Now you're putting me on the spot of, of what one of my favorite things to, to say about Pete Carroll is. Jeez, um, I'm, I'm at a loss. Oh, I believe my friend, my friend Eric always says that he is a DB whisperer. Oh, yes, he is. This is true. And so you have a DB whisperer putting together a DB first group, which I think makes sense for what you're saying, Nathan. And the other thing that I think makes sense is as much as they like to make fun of Grandpa Pete and how nothing changes in our system because we couldn't trust our nickel last year and we ran base defense all the time. The other thing that they're not noticing that's changing about this team is that the blitz percentage has been rising over the course of Norton's tenure as defensive coordinator. So I think that speaks to being able to manufacture some pressure. Now, top 15, I think, is pretty reasonable. Top 10, that's pretty bold. I appreciate it. Really good insight there, Kevin. All right, Kevin, what's your next prediction? All right, I'm going to stick to the offense again a little bit. Keep with that theme And my next one is no Seahawks starting offensive lineman will have a PFF grade below 60 and your friends Dwayne Brown and the rookie Damian Lewis will both grade in the 70s, according to PFF. So now 60 is like the bar for people that you actually want to play. Yeah, and it's not I looked it up when Kevin said this is a bold prediction. This has not happened since 2014. That was the last time the Seahawks had an offensive line that was that at that level. And that just to give you a frame of reference, Max Unger was the center. So that feels like a long time ago. Yeah, that's pre Jimmy Graham era. That that would make it that was <laughs> that the feels, Super Bowl year. That feels like a lifetime ago when we had Percy Harvin and Max Unger. And uh what that is just a long time ago. So yeah, I, I I dig it. I mean, I'm I I expect better from our offensive line this year as well, and I think that's a good way to quantify it is above sixty for all the guys. Um, just that would be so amazing. Oh my gosh, I, we'd go from like the worst offensive line to like the fifteenth best offensive line, or fifteenth to twentieth, and it would just yeah. feel like it would be such a huge step. feel like a huge boost. Yeah, well, way way to get back to mediocrity, gentlemen. Feel good about that. We did it. <laughs> Eric, you ready for your next one? Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, this one's pretty simple. Greg Olson will have eight touchdowns this year. 
Now, that seems like, a, oh, Greg Olson's a star, eight touchdowns. But with all the passing predictions we've had and all the receivers we have, Greg Olson in this lineup, eight touchdowns, it's a pretty big prediction, and I believe in it. I think he's going to be a big red zone target, and I believe he will play a large role in this offense, uh, if only in small yardage situations like the red zone. So for comparison's sake, we haven't had – we average about one receiver per year in the Pete Carroll era with eight or more touchdowns. So to say that he's going to get eight touchdowns is a pretty big claim. Yeah. As uh, Eight touchdowns would have led the team last year tied with Tyler Lockett. All right. So I disagree, but I like your boldness, sir. That's yeah, sweet. I just think that the tight end room has too many amounts to feed. It's going to be like three guys with five touchdowns. Not yeah, pass game in eight. general. Just like – it's going to be like Hollister has four, Whit Disley has five, and Olsen has five. And it's like 14 Man, tight I end touchdowns is, is a lot. So it's just like no one guy isn't going to be on the field enough. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, okay. Uh, mine is similar to yours, Eric. I think Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett has five catches of over 40 yards this year. Wow. That's a, those are big plays. I think he's going to have five catches over 40 yards, and I'll even double down six total touchdowns. I like, I've talked about how I think Philip Dorsett fits perfectly in this offense. If he is given the opportunity to shine, and with the roster as currently constructed, I really think he is going to get that opportunity. He is so fast. He is so good at getting open deep, and he he's underrated. He's an underrated route runner, and he's underrated at creating separation. And so I expect Philip Dorsett to really shine in an offense where Russell Wilson can take advantage of his his elusive his elusiveness and top end speed. So I say that's a pretty bold pick for our number three wide receiver, but I also don't think we've had a wide receiver room like this ever. So I see it as both possible and that's a big one because like if if both of ours come true, that's that's big time production out of three wide receivers. Mr. Big he's gonna be Mr. Big play this year. All right, Kevin, your last one. All right, so this is the one that I'm going to get made fun of for. But, you know, sometimes you just got to go with your heart. And I've been I've been building up towards this as we've talked past Kevin's, Rush. Kevin's heartbeat goes like this. Benson, Benson. That's a fact. Benson, Benson Mayoa, because I think somebody is going to pop on this defensive line. Somebody is going to put it together. And so I decided I'm going to pick Benson Mayoa to be the man. Uh, Benson Mayo with a double digit sack and fifty plus pressure season. He's I, gonna uh, get he's gonna get double his career high in pass rushing snaps, and he is going to show that with the level of production he's going to get. You know what I love about Benson Mayoa? He's an Idaho Vandal. That's cool. That's he's leaving the cool. Kibby Dome. Yeah, Kibby Dome, baby. Uh I, I don't um sure, why not? He go he he <laughs> That would be if he got ten sacks this year. That would be his career total is twenty. So that would be a big jump. Uh, it is very bold. Um, I will make so the same. Joke I am going I with yeah, I'll make the same, quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna make the same joke I made in the pre-show, Kevin. Where are you and Benson Mayo are gonna go pick out your wedding rings? <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say or, again. Okay. I'm gonna say it again. Uh, people. <laughs> we got it a blacksmith because show. our love is formed in fire. Just like his pass rushes. I, I have no response. <laughs> he had eight sacks last year on 252 pass rushing snaps. So I think he's going to end up with probably between four and 500 pass rushing <clears throat> snaps. And I think we could see 
um, his pressure total pop up correspondingly. He's been he's been consistently at about uh, one pressure every eight snaps. Well, I'm gonna go, Eric. Eric, what's your last prediction? And I'm sure that transition was awkward because uh, Kevin is at least for me, getting eaten by robots a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Hopefully it comes through an audio for him. Uh, where Kevin went with his heart, uh, I'm going to go. I'm just going to – I got to bring you some – You go with your spleen? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like uh, like the old Tampa Bay quarterback who ruptured his. Who was that? Was that Phil Sims? Anyway. Um, <laughs> this kid. <laughs> I'm, glad we, I'm glad we properly derailed. Let's... He doesn't have a spleen, Mike. Uh, uh, this, And I know, Nathan, you're not going to like this one. The Seahawks slash NFL teams will not play a full 16 game season. It will be a complete season, but it may be shortened by a game due to one Mr. C.O. Virus. Um, okay, guess what? Years old. Guess what? They will extend the season as long as it takes to play 16 games. I wonder if what you don't was. If you don't believe me, just watch baseball. <laughs> like they they do not they are having all kinds of teams having to cancel and they're like let's play double headers we'll just do this we'll extend the season by two weeks the, the nfl is just going to be like yep push it back push it back Doesn't yeah i'm matter. sorry i'm gonna push uh, back on eric on this one too he's rooting against the nfl owners wanting money yeah it's That's just zero percent chance <laughs> as i do it on the discord i just t- write a big long sentence and i say there are so many reasons why they will do it and i just replace every s with a dollar sign because that <laughs> That's a hundred percent why they're going to do play all their games. They're playing all their games because they want money, and money is all that matters. And if you think they give a rip about player safety, well, <laughs> oh come on, I didn't say tell, that. Tell, tell the truth, Eric. Um, I'm not okay. that bold. <laughs> uh, my my uh, my prediction: um, Russell Wilson, Mister 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 Unlimited himself. This is the year. Um, he's going to win the MVP award, the most valuable player award. And my reason is not totally to do with numbers. I know I've said a lot on this podcast, I think they're going to play a little more up tempo, but they could play the same tempo as last year and he could have the exact same stats as last year. And I think he has a much better chance of winning the MVP than he did last year. And here's why the MVP award, as much as any other award, it's about the story. Okay. And it's journalists voting on it and it's about the story. And the story right now for Russell Wilson is he's maybe the best player in the NFL, but he's never gotten an MVP vote. And if he puts together any season where he's in the mix for MVP, that story becomes the story and he gets, he takes over and he wins his first MVP award. And so, so for me, like last year, the story was Lamar Jackson, look at this kid. He's running like crazy, right? He got 1200 rushing yards. Like this is insane. Has anyone ever done anything like this? And the year before that, it was like, look at this kid Mahomes, right? He's so fantastic. He's thrown for a billion touchdowns. Now those stories have burned out. There's no, they, th- those aren't the new guys on the block anymore. They've already done it once. They either have to one up themselves, which I don't think either of those guys will do. Lamar Jackson's going to have a hard time repeating his 1200 rush yard performance. Patrick Mahomes ain't going to throw for 50 touchdown passes again. That's just like a really difficult task. So with those, both those guys back on planet earth with the, with the humans, uh, Russell Wilson can just continue doing what he does, which is put up excellent performances and i really think that just a good just a performance that is a russell wilson great season is as long as no one knew does something crazy you know if drew if drew lock throws for 50 touchdowns russell screwed but the, the narrative right now can be russell wilson finally gets his turn russell wilson finally uh gets to be the mvp and i think that's it's kind of a perfect 
um, storyline for for reporters to latch onto. And like I said, more than anything else, voting for awards is about the story. So there you go. That's my reason. For yeah, I would say him and Drew Brees are the two with the good story. Because if Drew Brees, at age 502, pulls a great season out of his butt to be able to get his only MVP, that's that's going to happen too. I think if Dallas sets the world on fire too, Dak Prescott is like a dark horse. Yeah. But uh, th- And that's a very real possibility. Their offense could be awesome this year. They're loaded on offense. But hey, man, here's the thing. We're going to throw for over 4,200 yards. We're going to have 2,000-yard receivers. We're going to have eight touchdowns for Olsen, seven touchdowns for Dorsett. If all these numbers hit, I mean... <laughs> oh, I we should buy a lottery ticket because these are bold <laughs> predictions. Um, all right. I have one more thing I want to say that has nothing to do with what we talked about, and I want to talk about Jadavian Clowney just for a second because I have, a, I feel like, a really good theory about what happened with Jadavian All right, Clowney. take it to Clowntown. Yeah. So here we go. So Jadavian Clowney. Okay, a lot of people are like, oh, what, what happened? You know, like we had to have offered more money than that. And, oh, this is so crazy. So here's the thing. Okay, I don't think it was about the money. Jadavian Clowney is in a situation where he wants to get 20 to $25 million a year to play football. And he has the talent to do it. And he really believes he has the talent to do it. So he wants to figure out how do I get there? Well, where did he, when did he have his best season? He had his best season when he was working with... Mike Vrabel. So I think Tennessee was going to get him this whole offseason basically no matter what. Because he once it becomes less about like if we offered him 21 million, he's coming back to the Seahawks because he got what he wanted. But he doesn't want 16 million. He doesn't want 17 million. He he wants he wants in the 20s. So he if he's taking a pay cut, I think in his mind he's thinking, if I'm going to take a pay cut, I might as well go where I have the biggest chance to have a gigantic season and come back and get the contract that I think I deserve. And I think that he, the reason he fired his agent was not because he he's a drama queen and diva, which those things actually might be true. But I think it's because him and Buzz Cook had a disagreement, right? Like Buzz Cook's like, hey, man, you can get $17 million this year from Cleveland. And he's like, dude, if I go to Cleveland, I'm going to get four sacks, and then I'm going to be in the same situation again. And he, and he's frustrated. He's frustrated by the that that perception that he's like that he's not good. And he's frustrated by that because he knows his talent and he knows what he feels like he's worth. Now, if he goes out and sucks again, he's basically screwed. But I think he put himself in a really great position to, one, be on a top 10 defense. Tennessee is a good defense, really good defense. And, yeah. he's, and so he's going to be on a top 10 defense and he's going to play with a coach who knows him, knows his strengths and knows how to use him. And he's going to put himself in a position to get that big money contract that he thinks he deserves. And I can't really blame him for that. Like that's what he wanted to do. And if he felt like Tennessee was his best chance to rehabilitate himself uh, in the eyes of the league, then good for him. I mean, he got to skip the whole off season too, which is pretty sweet. (laughs) And he went to a team that's going to win. Like they're going to be pushing for a playoff spot. They'll probably be in the playoffs and they have a shot at winning some games. Yeah. It's an eight to 10 win team that, that, uh, that has a great defense. The, the defense is not the problem. It'll, they'll go as far as their their offense takes them. The defense will be good, and if the offense can do enough, they'll be they'll be good, right? So so he. But if he's part of a like a top five defense and Tannehill ends up being trash, or their offensive line doesn't survive losing Conklin the way that they hoped, right? Then that's fine. If the defense is good, it helps him, right? <laughs> I don't think he gives a crap if the team is like a Super Bowl champ. Yeah, the big thing for him is converting some of those pressures into sacks because people still pay most attention to that. Right, and fans pay attention to sacks. And you you might think like, oh, well, you know, they can – who cares what the fans think? They got to be smarter than the fa- the average fan, right? The average fan just looks at sacks. We should look at pressure rate and things like that and 
if you look at pressure rate, Clowney's pretty decent, right? He's pretty, he's pretty freaking good. But, uh, and which makes Clowney in my eyes more valuable than the contract he got. But the problem is you have to sell this signing to your fans, right? And on some level, like if you're giving a guy $22 million, which is what he wanted, you have to say like, Hey, here's $22 million. This guy got three sacks last year. And it's like, people are going to be like, come on, man. <laughs> like, what are we doing? And if the team isn't really, really good, then that will get, they're going to bury that signing. That's the signing. That's the problem, right? Yes. This is where we, this is where we went wrong. We signed Jadavian Clowney and yeah, you just don't want public perception. You don't want to fight public perception. So it'd be like if the defense fell apart the way that we that uh, the front office get dragged over the coals for the Adams trade. Hmm. All right, there's my there's my there's my clowny. I think that's right. That's a great take, Nathan. All right, um, yeah, because I think like a lot of people just get this in their head, like, oh, he's just he just wanted so much money, he got greedy, and like all this. It's like no, he just. He want he has a goal in mind, and I think everyone should have a goal in mind when you go into any contract negotiation. And then if you don't get to your goal, well, how do you get to your goal, right? And how does he get to his goal? He needs to go play and get 10 sacks. And I think Tennessee is probably his best chance to do that, if I'm being honest. So good for him. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about the Falcons. Okay, um, the Falcons last year finished the season 7-9, uh, and 15th in DVOA, 13th best offense, 23rd. Or sorry, not thirteenth best offense. I am stupid. <laughs> Tenth best weighted offense. Uh, their defense was significantly worse, ranking in at oh no, fifteenth and seventeenth. Their defense was average. Their special teams was horrible, twenty eighth. But they seem to have found something at the end of the year in Young Way Koo, who really brought their special teams along, converting all those onside kicks, making the field goals. Um, I think that a lot of fans are excited about him. So team right in the team from the middle of the pack last year, Kevin. Do you think that they've improved this offseason? Are they the same? Are they better? Are they worse? What do you think? How do you think their offseason went? Um, I think that they are really putting to the test the idea that if they put a lot of offensive talent together, that having a defensive head coach will be enough to carry a defense. Like their quarterback situation is really they, questionable. They brought in new guys, Decrees Denard, Deion Buchanan, Dante Fowler. Like they went and got guys that they thought would help them. Um, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that. <laughs> just saying they went and got a few guys. They didn't just sit on their hands. And are you a big AJ Terrell fan or is that like, was that a reach for you? Uh, that was a reach for me. I'm not a huge AJ Terrell fan. I thought he was maybe late round one, early round two. And they picked him up like kind of middle of round one. One thing I like about AJ Terrell is, is that he plays the system that he played the system that the Falcons play. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't think that the I don't think that the come over because he played a lot of cover three, and I think that they're going to play a lot of cover three, and it plays that that cover three plays to their strengths, and so for that for him it should be an easier transition, which hopefully he's gonna he's gonna need it because he's starting. There is no way that they're gonna ease him in. They can't afford to. They don't yeah. have the depth to do that. The only thing I worry about is, um, and this is a little bit of a lazy take, but. Clemson quarterbacks have had some difficulty transitioning to the NFL. We have not seen a lot of high-level success uh, for defensive backs coming out of Clemson to the NFL. And part of it's because they play on, you know, there's there's an idea that they play for a very, very talented defense, and they kind of out-talent a lot of people. And yeah. so there's questions about technique when it comes to, when they get to the NFL, are they ready to play at an NFL level? 
and a lot of these guys too, um, Clemson's secondary, like they play their defensive line is so good. They can play like a bone simple system and get like, don't have to do a whole lot. Um, like Terrell's really, what he's really good at is he's like, he has really good at pressing and he's really good at paddling and like those, but he doesn't like have to, like, those are just like, he's good at movement, moving great. But like, he didn't have to do anything exceptionally complex at Clemson. Luckily for him, Atlanta plays like a really simple defense, which is why I think that it might be somewhat okay. They really need Dante Fowler to be a hundred percent of what he was last year, not eighty percent, not seventy-five percent. Dante Fowler made the leap last year, and they need him to be all of what he was last year. Or this defense, if pass rush is like Seahawks level bad, he's got to be up in that Benson Mayoa territory of pass (laughs) rusher. So he's got to get up on that level. Uh, he's already surpassed that, but let's <laughs> let's hope that he can uh, he can continue that. Or let's hope he can't in week one, but maybe the rest of the year. I actually kind of like the Falcons because I root for the you know the coaching tree a little bit. So I want I want them to be successful. Plus, if they make the playoffs and the Rams don't, that'd be so sweet because Todd Gurley could just like shove it in their faces. That'd be um, pretty funny. And I think uh, Gurley's a good fit for that offense. I think Lindstrom getting healthy is good. Their offense improved a little bit, right? Like they got Hennessy coming in to play guard and Carpenter to push him. I think that helps their guard rotation quite a bit. And then, like you said, Lindstrom gets healthy. This is a McGarry's a, decent... a tire fire last year. That's that's questionable. McGarry is a tire fire, but like, you know, if you have four good offensive linemen and one bad one, you can kind of like hide them. Yeah. And Hayden Hurst is an excellent pass blocker, which great means, fit too. Which is like if, he, if they just stick him on McGarry's hip and say like, "Hey, here's your help." Hurst is going to kill it. He's so good at pass at blocking, and he's, he's just a really good tight end. Um, him and him and uh, Goddard are kind of the same for me, where they both uh, have you know the, the ability to block and catch at such a level that they they're kind of secretly lurking underneath the surface. And this might be Hayden Hurst coming out party because there's a lot of vacated targets in this offense with Sanu and uh, and Hooper leaving and. Hurst and Ridley are, I think, going to be the primary beneficiaries of that. And yeah, because so Russell be... Gage didn't get a ton of work after Sanu was traded. No, it, it was like, and it was inconsistent. So, yeah, I, I think that here's the thing about Atlanta: it's a pr- it's a pretty good offense. It's a defense that has uh, that's thin in the secondary and has like question marks. So it's just it's like our it's like us but worse, right? Because their offense, I think, is slightly worse than us. And their defense is like ours. They have question marks, but I think that their back seven is significantly worse than us. And Grady Jarrett isn't is really good, but not good enough to make up for that difference in in back seven talent. So it's like a slight. This is like Seahawks bad version, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like mediocre Seahawks. That's like when I look at their roster. That's what I think. Like it's just the they're just okay. They're fine. I, I don't I, really understand how. Dan Quinn got another year of coaching. Like already, already <laughs> they finished. Seemed... They finished with four straight wins, and they were all really good wins. Yeah, but that that's was literally after, why. That was after Artie Blank came through and said, uh, "We're just going to go and tank the rest of the season. And I'm not going to fire Dan Quinn." And then they rattled off all these wins. So, yeah, they were still going to fire him. You got to make your draft pick worse. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, what do you think about Marlon Davidson? I think Marlon Davidson's uh, stuck in a little bit of a tweener situation between like, I, I think ideally he's a three tech, um, which kind of puts him directly behind Grady Jarrett. I don't really know what he's going to be able to do this season though. Yeah. I feel like he's a guy who could like play a little end, play a little DT, but not he's, you know, he reminds me of it. Like not in terms of like size, stature or skill, bit, but in terms of like role is he's going to end up being like a Quentin Jefferson in his rookie year. 
Yeah. Where he's, he like fills, fills a bunch of holes and gets some, some, some decent snaps, but he, he needs time to, to develop into his true NFL position. I think like if him and Jared are next to each other on like passing downs with a yeah, uh, flanked by Tack McKinley and Dante Fowler, that's, that's not happy yeah, to deal sweet. with. Yeah. And, and on rundowns, you can put him on the outside and he's a serviceable enough pass rusher that you have to respect him. Like it's not like uh, you can't just disrespect him like that. I think is I think he's actually kind of a sneaky good second round pick. Um, okay, let's get. Is there anything else you guys want to say about this matchup? I don't think there's a lot to be said because with no preseason, no with no off season, uh, with everyone hiding what they were doing in the off season, there's not a lot I can do except for look at last year's stats and everyone can look at last year's stats, right? It's not yeah. that hard. Atlanta was. Yeah, seven I'll say something flat out. Matchups. They, they won the. They won their last four games, which is like that's that's good so 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 uh yeah that's that's what i got um here you want to i i wish i had the uh just but they atlanta's last year they were 21st against the pass, 13th against the rush they they're just they they're an okay they're okay <laughs> how many times how many different ways do i have to say they're average i don't know okay kevin what were you gonna say i think their passing defense was average and then got worse that's the thing like Oliver's uh, rating, he had a 54.5 coverage rating, which is bad. Um, they brought in a rookie who I think there's a really good chance struggles early on. Neil can't stay healthy and isn't a coverage guy. Casey isn't a good coverage guy. So what they I'm seeing is a second. Denard too. They tried to address it. They just, I, you're, their they two need... best coverage guys are Denard and Dion Jones for the four snaps he plays a season. <laughs> like this is this could get really ugly like i don't think they can just keep up with the scoring if seattle gets one stop it's game over yeah so i'm gonna go uh 35 24 seattle i'm I'm with you it's like a high scoring game seahawks uh can just kind of outrun them at some point i think in the third quarter we're up by like 20 and then maybe they chip a little bit and it ends up being like 35 to, to 28, you know, they, they like get the last score, but there's really no real chance for them to win except young way. the, the onside kick master is on the field, you know, there's gets dramatic, a little dramatic, maybe. All right, Eric, what do you think? Is Eric, is Eric dead? Did we lose Eric? It would appear that we lost Eric. All right. Well, I'm going to do an Eric impression then. Um, so, um, <laughs> I just oh, you got to talk up the Falcons. I just think that the Falcons are, are pretty good. They're, Matt Ryan is a former MVP, and I think that that really matters a lot. And uh, Dan Quinn, good coach, uh, 42 to 7 Seahawks. Was that a good Eric impression? That was solid. That's pretty <laughs> close. <laughs> is that what I sound like? Is that? I don't know why. I don't know why I died. Uh, I don't. I would never talk up Matt Ryan. I thought you might have called him Matty Ryan. Ice. This is the guy who, who craps on Matt Ryan every chance he gets because of the one year he screwed me in fantasy. Uh, I'll say this, Matty Ice, twenty three seventeen Seahawks, but it will be like twenty three to ten, twenty three to nine. They're going to come right. in with a touchdown um, and a two point conversion. So- Get the onside kick uh, and not do anything. That's it. That's all for Shaq. So there are many that's ways it. to support the Seahawks Nest Podcast. The best way to do so, head over to punthub.us. 
click anywhere on the screen. It'll take you to our Patreon. For as little as $1.24 a month, you can get access to our uh, Picks podcast where I do a really bad uh, impression of the Schwam, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. And uh, we do we give a couple of our best bets out at the end. Uh, it's a I will say this. I probably spend as much time writing the jokes for the Patreon podcast as I do for the prep for this podcast because I actually have – it stretches me creatively in a different direction than I'm used to, and I, I can't do it. I'm not like a streamlined. I have to write jokes, and it's a little – well, difficult. So it's it's fun. I really enjoy making it, and I hope that you guys enjoy listening to it. Uh, if you don't have any money, head over to iTunes, give us a review. Uh, give head over to uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, um, any of that stuff. So uh, thank you guys for anyone who gave us a review. You don't know how much that helps, but it's quite a bit. Uh, Eric's car pulling out. He's just did a big. Uh, Eric just did a barrel roll in a seven forty seven. <laughs> no. Okay. It's it's under the flight path. So uh yes, correct. Thank you to our current Patreons. Luke, I'm, Lucas, I'm Timothy, with my best Ryan, friend Jimmy Graham and I'm James, flying. Brett, Carrie, Tom, Michelle, Brandon, Nick, Emmanuel, Jay, Bob, Kieran, Matt, or Mike, Flocktimus, Keith, and Michelle. And of course, thank you to our new Patreons, Cooper, E B and Andy. Hope you guys are in the Discord chopping it up. It's been a lot of fun there lately. We had our some fantasy leagues going you guys can make fun of our fantasy teams uh you guys can just chop it up about anything really um don't let luke wilson hear about our new uh patreon we got eb cooper Uh oh no it's cooper and then and eb there's two different i don't don't know it's it's close enough do your own research nathan (laughs) do your own research do your own (laughs) research oh man okay kevin uh all right kevin combines them we uh we watched a movie that is on streaming services no it's on hulu plus right uh correct it is a hulu original film directed by max berbacow written by the lonely island boy or no it is no it was produced by the lonely island starring andy samberg it is palm springs kevin starts off tell us about palm springs uh, Palm Springs does something. Eric uh, and I were discussing this a moment ago and uh, before the podcast started, and I said I would go ahead and refresh him on this. It is a time loop movie. Um, so think like Groundhog's Day, but it does something that I think is very fun. It has a hot open where it opens after the time loop already started. Yes. So this you have a completely the aware Andy Samberg who is so, doing like the I already know what's going to happen stuff. Okay. Uh, Eric, your mic switched and like I can hear airplanes better than you now. Yeah. <laughs> airplanes are like airplanes are the primary thing coming through Eric's computer at this point. Okay. Oh, this great. is my favorite part of the movie actually is that the, the movie starts and Niles is already in the loop and that is how they separate from it. And he's already been in it. And that's how they separated it from every other time loop movie. Every other time loop movie, like part of the the biggest part of the movie is discovering the loop. And what are we going to do about this time loop? Right. Yep. Niles, Niles Dunn been in this loop, man. He's been in the loop for a minute. <laughs> so. Yeah. He talks about, I could, I can't even remember how many times I've done this. Like <laughs> he's talking about like how everything's starting to run together. So, um, so he's stuck in the time loop. And he's uh, in this time loop. He is at his girlfriend's wedding. And it's a situation where like he's a little older than his girlfriend. And there's all these things that would make it an awkward situation to be in in the first place. And then on top of it, to be stuck in a time loop in this situation is 
we'll call it less than ideal. <laughs> yeah, and I think on like he gets she gets joined in the time loop, right? Yeah, and uh, and, and the uh, Krista Milati, uh, who plays Sarah, which is the sister of the bride, ends up joining him in the time loop after they uh, spend some time together out in the desert, and um, J.K. Simmons comes by and shoots him with an arrow. And there's no explanation, but J.K. Simmons in full hunting gear and like grease paint and everything comes by and shoots him with an arrow and he stumbles towards a cave and tells her not to follow him. And that's when everyone gets sucked in. And I love how the movie bounces back and forth between perspectives. Yeah, and I like that this movie, so this movie, it started its journey as like a non-science fiction movie, but I feel like the science fiction is like really well integrated into the movie, whereas like sometimes like, you know, you, it's either underexplained or overexplained, you know, um, overexplained would be like Looper, not Looper, sorry, a Primer, <laughs> <laughs> and and some movies just don't explain it at all, they're just like, yep, there's a time loop, no, no reason to go into it any deeper, like, but uh, like, I like that they she tries to like study her way out of the problem. Yes, and that makes for a really great. Uh, it's awesome. There's a part where there's literally a what is it molecular um, physics, uh, quantum physics studying montage, mm-hmm. where she keeps like every day drives out to this little diner and like connects on her laptop and everything, and she's doing satellite conferencing with experts and like trying to learn the quantum physics of it and does an experiment with a goat. It's yep. it's delightful. Yeah. But the big thing is like the jokes really just keep coming in this one. There are so many funny moments and then there's enough heartfelt ones that feel earned that for me, it elevates itself above just like a standard comedy. Yeah. All right. Um, Eric, have you seen this movie? Eric, Eric died again. Eric died again. So, all right. The air, uh, the, so that last airplane, that was Eric leaving. Oh man, rest in peace, Eric. He's leaving on a jet plane. Don't yeah. know when he'll be back again. I, but uh, hopefully by next Tuesday. I find this movie quite. I'll just say this: I find this movie quite enjoyable. It's well worth a watch. I don't want to spoil too much, and I, um, and I don't think we have. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of good actors in this movie: J.K. Simmons, Peter Gallagher. I think Andy Samberg really brings it. Um, and uh, it's like a more, uh, you know, because I think everyone thinks of him as like a kind of a total goofball, you know. And it's more, this is more like the toned down Sandberg. So I like that. Yeah. And Kristen, the, uh, the lady who plays Sarah hasn't had a lot of, um, movie roles, but she has uh, significant stage acting mm-hmm. and she, I think nails it in this. And I really look forward to seeing her in more things as well. All right. For Eric Ronnebeck, for Kevin Garber, for Comcast, the corporation who had gave us very bad internet for all of this, all of this attempted recording. We'll see, we see you guys next week. Go Hawks.